0: Right now get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash blue That's 60% off at babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled Spell B-A-B-B-E-L dot slash blue Rules
1: and restrictions apply. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis. It is a very late April 29th night as the Chicago White Sox just completed their doubleheader sweep over the Detroit Tigers. Uh, and in game one, they won three to one. They had to come back late. It was a very tight game uh, until late when the White Sox... Had a, a, let's call it a biggish offensive output late in the game to help out Carlos Rodan. And in game two, an absolute rout as the Chicago White Sox won 11 to nothing. They are now 14 and 10 in the regular season. Uh, still in second place, but now just a game and a half back of the Kansas City Royals. And they are now heading into the weekend with the Cleveland Indians coming into town for three more games. We'll preview that series. But a lot of this episode of Sox Machine Live will be focused on this doubleheader sweep for the Chicago White Sox as they wrap up their series against the Detroit Tigers. And joining me as the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And uh, Jim, I I know that a a lot of White Sox fans are going to look at this doubleheader sweep. And they're to look at game two and say, wow, 11 to nothing. The offense, the bats, that's the big story. But I think for tonight, the big story is the outstanding starting pitching the Chicago White Sox got from both Carlos Herdon and Dylan Cease.
2: Well, it could be both, I think. uh, But yeah, I think Cease, just the curveball. I think there are ways that maybe Dylan Cease could have had a start like this or, or have a line like this seven runs uh, uh, seven innings no runs nine strikeouts against a bad Detroit offense and look a little bit underwhelming or maybe just have a really good slider or uh, just maybe bully him around with the fastball a little bit and get just a bad lineup chasing but he had three pitches working and he had like the 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 curveball that we heard about like in in coming at the minor leagues when they got him from the Cubs and and down like Winston Salem and such, just the, the hammer that locked people up. Like he could not throw that in the major leagues with any kind of regularity. He was always bouncing it or rolling it or, uh, you know, basically letting it slip and having it go way above the zone. He didn't have this kind of command where he could drop it in for knee buckling strikes and like knee buckling check swings. So that was really exciting. And, you know, he said after the game that he seemed to have solved like the, he seemed to unlock something, just in terms of like where he was looking, where he was releasing it to, and you know we've mm-hmm. heard Cease a few times in spring training have very simple explanations for what seem like uh, revelatory starts that don't quite pan out. So I mean I'm not, I guess I'm holding my breath, or uh, maybe I'm not holding my breath, and and just saying like, well you know, uh, you know, getting a two starts in a row, I'm expecting a little bit of a letdown next time as he as he tries to work through it, but. At least we now know he can do it in a regulation game against a real lineup when he is going deep in the games, not just like an inning or two at a time in Camelback Ranch.
1: Yeah, Dylan Cease tonight, seven innings pitched. It is a complete game shutout for Dylan Cease. He only allowed three hits. Striking out, I believe it was eight, unless I miss a strikeout at the end. Was it eight strikeouts? It was nine strikeouts. Mm-hmm. So good thing I double-checked. His season in ERA now is below three, thanks to this outstanding start. Now it's down to 2.96. And this stems from the conversation you and I had on Monday when we talked about Michael Kopech and the future of the White Sox starting rotation that I had doubts. If Dylan Cease was going to be the starting pitcher that continues to struggle to get through the fifth inning, then I, and I still believe this, that Michael Kopeck's probably your better bet to get you consistently to the fifth or at least through the first five innings on 80 pitches. Tonight was a great night for Dylan Cease, and, and I do hope, Jim, that the adjustments that he talked about, he's able to bottle those up. And he can use mm-hmm. them in future starts. That curveball that you mentioned really reminds me if you remember watching Ben Sheets of the Milwaukee Brewers, Ben mm-hmm. Sheets would have this incredible 12 to 6 curve. And during that post game interview, something that I caught that C said was that he was trying to throw his curve higher. And I think that makes a lot of sense because he has been throwing his fastball up in the zone ever since he's been pitching the major leagues, it seems. Mm-hmm. So why not throw that curve higher? It may have a better opportunity to tunnel. And the way that that curve is coming out of his hand, that 12-6 to curve, I mean, it does look like it's going to the top of the zone, and it is dropping. I mean, it's got a drastic drop to the bottom part of the strike zone. And he can throw it for strikes, and it makes me wonder that that should be Cease's primary breaking pitch moving forward. And maybe that's the adjustment we'll see. Well, I
2: think if he's got both of them working like he had tonight, it doesn't really matter which one is which. Cause I mean, he was, he was throwing that uh, slider aggressively to left-handed mm-hmm. hitters in a way that was just uh really refreshing, just you know, how aggressive he was, how confident he was that he could place it in that position, the inside corner or just off the inside corner and not worrying about plunking a guy or maybe not worrying about it, just plunking guys. Cause he, he tends to miss in that direction uh, uh, and sometimes well off, but you know, now we can, you know, now that he's shown it, it does open to the possibility that, yeah, it could be a secondary breaking pitch. And I think that showing the curveball high at the batter's eyes and having it drop down for strikes, that helped his fastball out. And you know, this is a Detroit lineup, too. That you know, maybe he looks a little bit better. And uh he, he got away with a couple of mistakes that were hit well, but didn't quite make the warning track, or Luis Robert caught one like right before the wall. And mm-hmm. maybe that leaves the yard against a better team and and uh, a deeper offense. But, you know, you can only pitch against who you're playing. And he struggled against right. lesser offenses, too, so I don't want to take that away from him. But uh, I'm hoping that just the curveball command he showed and the threat of being able to drop it in for strikes just makes hitters think a little bit more about the high fastball that he hasn't been able to quite get because of that cut. Um, you know, the way it doesn't have the kind of vertical carry the way that Kopex does and how uh, Cease can even get burned on decent fastballs that are at the top of the zone or above it. Just having that something else to think about at the top of the zone might allow you know the him to buy that extra millisecond or whatever he needs for that fastball to really play up, whether it's getting swings and misses or just useless foul balls that open up other pitches one pitch later.
1: Cease's next projected start looks like it's going to be at Cincinnati next week. And if it's not in Cincinnati, then it could be at Kansas City, which the, the first series between the White Sox and the Royals in, in the early part of May is uh, growing as far as importance, it seems like by the passing day, especially with the way that the Kansas City Royals have started the season. So, next start for Dylan Cease will be a stronger test because the Cincinnati Reds have been playing good baseball to start the 2021 season. And if it's not the Reds, then it, it'll be kind of an important game for Dylan Cease and the Chicago White Sox early in 2021 at Kansas city. Again, hopefully something did truly unlock for Dylan Cease. He can bottle it up uh, because again, with Michael Kopech, there is an innings limit or a number of pitches limits for him in this season it would just be nice that if Dylan sees can un- untap some of that potential that we've seen from him, because it, it it was a struggle watching him to start this season. The fact that he can get through the fifth inning doesn't really give anyone a lot of confidence in his ability to stick as a starting pitcher. Uh, but hopefully again, tonight that this is the night that really launches him over the next couple of weeks. And he's someone that can consistently for the white Sox get through the fifth and sixth inning because I don't want to hear about bullpen usage. Uh, They have had the day off pretty much today uh, because Carlos Rodon was also outstanding Jim uh, in the first game. And uh, I'm going to bring up this banner. Cy Rodon. Do we need to start the Carlos Rodon Cy campaign? Maybe others have done it already on Twitter.
2: That feels like you're tempting Kenny Williams to say, basically stay healthy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. today Carlos Rodon went six innings. He only allowed two hits, one earned run. He walked one, he struck out 12, uh, a career high. I don't recognize this Carlos Rodon, uh, compared well, the to the Rodon. Up, yeah, uh, yeah, the Rodon the we've seen the, the last pitch, three yeah. years, yeah. And you know, in April, Jim, he, he ends April, you know, for win loss record four and oh with a 0.72 ERA. And again, back to, you know, hopefully Dylan Cease has found something that he could bottle up and use for future starts. Ever since the first start of the season, it appears that Carlos Serdan has found something. Everything is clicking for him, and he has bottled it up. And now he might, he might win American League Pitcher of the Month? I'm
2: trying to think who else is better when it comes to pitcher of the month when it just comes to you know maybe you have guys who have racked up more innings because Rodon's had a couple of shorter starts but just the dominance and the you know the the clean record these ERA that starts with the zero the no hitter it's hard to think of a better package both in terms of performance and narrative but yeah i mean like it's I, I didn't foresee him having the best month of his career in his very first month <laughs> back. Even like, you know, I. given, you know, we, we, talked about it, you know, over the winter and then in spring training, like the, the to-do list that Ethan Katz gave him, um, that sounded like a lot for a pitcher mid career after some success and more failures and, and, and injuries. And just thinking like, well, you know, if he had that much to do, you would think that it would either be just, you know, like impossible for him to do it, or if it'd just be, uh, you know, he didn't feel comfortable making mechanical changes or just pure stubbornness that he didn't do it. And the fact that it all clicked so easily is I think what's surprising and, and maybe, you know, just him being healthy and this happened to be the month that he's healthy was able to do it, but yeah, just the, the fastball, um, you know, the command early and then the power late, I think, is something I like seeing. You know, when the command, you know, with the fatigue, sometimes that will take some command away, like we saw Giolito in the first game, uh, where the the command starts flagging. And it seems like Rodan's able to make up for that just by finding more. And, mm-hmm. you know, 91 in the first inning is occasionally able to hit 96 or 97 later. And I think that helps mask some of those issues you might have locating just as fatigue sets in.
1: Yeah, in the first inning, he was having trouble arm side. But as you mentioned, as the game continued, he was able to find that command. And when the hitters for the most night, for most of the night for Detroit were seeing 92-93 from his four-seamer, and then all of a sudden he's throwing this 97-mile-per-hour uh, pitch up in the zone, then that really throws him off. And even in his post-game interview, Steve Stone was asking him were, was I watching from, and this was Stone asking Carlos Rodon, mm-hmm. were we watching two different sliders? And Rodon did admit, yes, that he was throwing two different versions of his slider, one that he can consistently throw as far as a strike, but it's a bit flatter. And then, of course, he still has that wipe, you know, wipeout slider that he's always had uh, when the White Sox drafted him back in 2014 uh, that he was famous for coming out of NC State. But you mentioned as far as the changeup, Comparing these three pitches, the fastball, changeup, and slider, how close do you think the changeup is as far as quality to Rodon's fastball and slider?
2: Uh, It still seems like a distant third, at least when Rodon's slider is – he's locating it the way he wants to. I think it might be more of a pitch that helps him get strikes with something that isn't a fastball when that slider just isn't there. I I think that's maybe the key for him right now is just – the changeup might not factor so much on a scouting report to where, um, you know, hitters just aren't looking for it. They're aware of, you know, okay, I don't want to hit something. I don't want to swing at something that's going to hit my back foot or my knee. And so maybe they're just, <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, they're looking fastball and then like laying off the pitch that probably isn't a strike. And so having a second pitch that comes out slower that doesn't come out with the heave of his fastball, maybe is, you know, kind of share some, uh, you know, characteristics in terms of where it's located coming out of his hand that maybe makes hitters jumping off balanced. And then, you know, the fastball plays up because of that. And that's something to watch as, as we go forward um, either, you know, if Rodon slider command, isn't the way it normally is, you know, for the rest of the season or at least in this new form to where the changeup is more important mm-hmm. do hitters key on that changeup more and, and make him throw the slider make him prove that that's still a weapon. That's something I'm curious to see if it'll happen, but I'm hoping like he does, you know, maybe that that slider is just something that takes him a couple of innings to lock into because uh, no hitter is the same way that wasn't there early, but it showed up later. Maybe it's just something where it's more of a feel thing uh, that comes over the course of a couple of innings but uh, it's nice that he has multiple ways to succeed because I thought, you know, once the fastball velocity dipped last year, that basically the slider was, he's got to slider his way out of everything. And I didn't think that was sustainable for more than like three or four innings.
1: Yeah. And again, this is an incredible start for for Carlos or and hopefully this continues because this is by far and away the best he's ever looked in a white Sox uniform on Twitter, you're already getting some White Sox fans asking about a contract extension. I have been down that path before I I got subtweeted to hell by relatives of Carlos Rodon. that didn't think he needed to sign an extension. I, I don't think we're, we're a long ways away from that conversation. But after the first month of this resurrection of Carlos Rodan's career, uh, a, a fantastic month. And hopefully it continues into the month of May because... You know, with the White Sox being 14-10, and 10, the offense, there's there are some surprises. You know, we'll talk about your Mercedes in a moment. Um, but, you know, Jose Braves not having the greatest month. Uh, Yoan Mikada starting to pick up as far as his average, and he hit a home run tonight, which is great to see. But his lucky numbers aren't where you would like them to be. Gospani Grandel struggled from the left side of the plate. You know, those three guys, I think we were expecting better starts. Uh, but other offensive players have stepped up. But I think in the first month of April where the white Sox are today, it's a a big part of it is the starting rotation. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: the big part of the starting rotation right now is Carlos Rodon. He's throwing the ball, the best out of the, the five or even if you want to count Michael Kopech six starting pitchers that we've seen so far in the month of April. And hopefully that continues and, I'm starting to build up some confidence in Rodon, Jim. That yeah, in these coming games against the Royals and the Minnesota Twins, that you know, at the beginning of the season, I would be scared, and be like, I hope that Carlos Rodon doesn't face these teams. And now after the month of April, it's like, bring it on! Yeah, mm-hmm. go Carlos Rodon, face Jose Pereos. Let's steal yeah. this game against the Twins' As.
2: Yeah, that's depth. It's weird. Yeah, that's it's, tough, it's, in that depth, I didn't think Rodan was going to be able to provide, whether it's because he just wasn't efficient enough to pitch mm-hmm. past five innings regularly, or just wasn't healthy enough to pitch at all. Um, you know, that's when, when they signed him as a depth starter, I was really concerned. And, you know, that Jose Quintana, like I wasn't hugely for Quintana, but he seemed like the combination of fits on paper and familiarity that, you know, ended up being why Rodan came back in, a, in large part. Um, yeah. I thought he was going to be the guy who could step up for a few starts when a couple of uh, uh, the starters above him just failed to deliver and he could stop a losing streak by himself and not wait for the rotation to turn around and have Giolito come back. But having Rodon show up and being the, you know, maybe he's not a stopper yet, but he, you can do it. Like you, you can stop a losing streak. You you can see these. Uh, yeah. And I think that helps in a, in a winning start in April when you have like an, a, an offense that's characteristically April right now, uneven, um, you know, kind of too aggressive uh, fly balls. Aren't carrying. too many ground balls. Just we've seen this April offense before and you having the pitching staff show up and stop losing streaks from getting out of control, just with stre- the strength of, uh, you know, uh, good first six innings, and even you know a starting pitching that's able to mask a bullpen that uh, mm-hmm. is struggling way more than anybody thought. I think is is really refreshing, and yeah, having Carlos Herdon, a fifth starter on paper, pitching like a first starter, uh, that's something that really helps a lot in that regard. Just uh, hiding deficiencies elsewhere.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, the bullpen, only Liam Hendricks appeared for the White Sox bullpen in this doubleheader, picking up his fifth save, closing out game one. And uh, today rinses out the bad taste of Tuesday night, which was not a fun game for the White Sox. But hey, today was a very good day for the White Sox. And they are 14 to 10. And somebody that had a very good day was Lurie Garcia. I don't know why Lurie Garcia is playing as much as he has been, Jim. But today he had a good day. Let's give mm-hmm. him credit. He had the game-winning hit in game one with a game tied one-to-one. Uh I don't know why Billy Hamilton batted with the bases loaded, but thank you, Miguel Cabrera, for making another defensive mistake for Detroit that allowed the game-tying run to score. And then Garcia came uh, next and had the two-run single, and that's what the White Sox needed to win three-to-one. And then he picked up even more RBIs in game two. He had five RBIs in the day, Jim. Larry mm-hmm. Garcia in both games, starting both games, went three for six with five RBIs. And he made a nice catch in right field in, in game two. And I feel it in my bones. I'm expecting now Larry Garcia to start the, the opening game of the series against Shane Bieber Friday night uh, when Cleveland comes into town, Jim. And uh, it, it does make me wonder because, you know, La Russa has been, you know, hinting at the fact that La Russa, that uh, Lurie Garcia is going to get more playing time um because he thinks he's that he's in a rut. And the only way to get out of a rut is to play more. Is it important to make sure that Lurie Garcia gets into a rhythm for this White Sox squad that we're seeing him so often?
2: Uh kind of. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because you don't want to be in position of like rooting against somebody, which, you know, in a case like this, it it gets the part where you just don't know what's more beneficial for the White Sox in the long run. Like having Garcia just have a terrible two weeks where uh, he's either just hitting everything uh, like straight in the ground or striking out, or do you want him to have like a, a sign of life like this, where you know he delivers some big hits and, you know, the hit that he had in the uh, for the first run of Game Two, where it was a flare over the infield. I'm not sure if it even touched the outfield grass. The infield was drawn in, uh, and, yeah. and you know that's a hit where it's just like that's not a hit most of the time. That's not you know useful contact if the infield isn't aggressively positioned to cut down a run. And, and, you know, that might be an infield fly rule, given just how it landed. Like, is that a hit that you feel is replicable and useful, the kind of contact, you know, that you want to see from him? On the other hand, it's in the air, you know, like in, in mm. the line drive single that he had was in the air. You know, it wasn't just the uh, grounders just hit right where they're positioned them, either to the right side or just left of second. Like it's useful. He's not bunting like he's swinging away. He's at least getting some feel back. So just, you know, I think he's probably enough of the White Sox plans right now, especially like say, you know, if Adam angles had a setback in his recovery, if Adam Eaton's knee is something to worry about, you're going to have Garcia still there, still prevalent. And so you're probably going to want him to have starts like this. I I think we talked about it before in the, uh, I'm blanking on Twitter's, uh, spaces is that the twitter yeah twitter Uh, spaces twitter spaces yeah i mean i'm trying to keep all these live uh, audio uh apps correct but yes we talked about that just saying that that you know it seems like tony la a penchant of his is to just fall in love with the utility player and if he's gonna fall in love with garcia then he better hit you know just for everybody's sake you know maybe not for garcia's sake because he's he's gonna play regardless but just for everybody watching i mean you might like grit your uh, teeth and just say like now, that's another five at bats, you know when, when he has like a a lucky single that uh, probably wouldn't land based on positioning or what have you. But if he's going to play and he's not going to be a bet to put the ball over the fence, you know, those lucky singles and those infield singles and reaching on errors, that is part of his game, even when he is going right. So you may as well just hope that there's more where it came from.
1: And uh, let's talk about Andrew Vaughn and mm-hmm. uh, a j. Uh, posted this as far as in our comments on uh, on our YouTube pages. Andrew Vaughn getting it together. Is it worth keeping him up? I get the feeling Tony La Russa wants to keep him up. And this is a conversation that we've had for a little bit, Jim, in the last couple of weeks. And I, I would say last week I was pretty confident that he was going to go to Charlotte on May 4th. Just the way that he wasn't being used. And... <sighs> just a lack of playing time and maybe not getting the best results that perhaps he just needed some time in triple a, but in game two tonight of this double header, he goes three for four. He gets two more doubles. He's hitting the ball with authority. And after watching him tonight, it's like, man, the white Sox should play this guy more often. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's part by design. Like, you know, I mm-hmm. think with, with, uh, with the position that Vaughn's in, being uh, dropped into the majors while never playing a competitive game, a uh, standard game above A ball. Just, I think, you know, it's partially designed that LaRusso wants to put him in positions to succeed against lefties and righties, he might have a better chance against. To where, you know, I think the best case scenario is that people are angry that he's not playing more. That means that he's playing well in left to where you don't have to worry about your mean Mercedes stealing at bats from him at DH. And then, you know, he's hitting well enough that you feel like he's worthy of more challenges, even facing a Bieber type. And, you know, we saw, you know, in, in game two to where like, you know, with, with uh, you know, swinging through some high fastballs from righties, you know, that just might feel like, you know, against a good righty, he's still going to have some bad games. And then, you know, he's facing Derek Holland from the left side. And Derek Holland might be done like that's not the case, <laughs> you know, watching his outing and seeing, you know, like I looked at his numbers after that outing. Cause I, I miss them when they're flashing on the screen and just thinking like, this is a guy who might be reaching the end of the line. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, if he, if he, you know, ropes a double against him, it's like, what does that teach you? A little bit, but not much, you know, in, in terms <laughs> of uh, playing him against better pitchers against like in key divisional games. But I think he's at least earned the playing time to have a bad game, have two bad games and then adjust accordingly and, and not, not have two bad games be the reason why he sent down to Charlotte. Uh, I think right now, if he goes like, say if he starts against Bieber and, and has a silver sombrero and then comes back the next day, goes over five, maybe you bench him or you know, maybe have him sit a little bit to, to clear his head because, you know, I think the key right now is still is not embarrassing the guy because As the league gets adjusted to him, different ways to attack him. Like he's not out of the woods just yet, but he's earned the playing time. And, uh, you know, Garcia, I think that's the reason why fans, even fans who want to see Lauri be productive, like that's one reason why fans might not want to see Garcia deliver some big hits is because they don't want to see him steal Vaughn's playing time. But hopefully there's more of a balance there just because, you know, Vaughn, he's doing everything asked of him. And now I think it's a little bit fair to ask more of him. Even if it's, you know, maybe just not going to turn out well. Uh, it's a long season. You can, you know, have a game not turn out well and, and he can bounce
1: back. You, you mentioned Derek Holland being toast. It just, I, I, I enjoy the toast scale. I'm not sure if you are familiar with the scale mm-hmm. of, of toast. Uh, that's just what I thought of. I'm like, oh, where would Derek Holland be? Like black, like charred. Brad is where Derek Holland would be bless him. He's chasing the, the dream, you know, old friend alert, Derek Holland. Uh, yeah. It's, it's one of those cases where I look to see like, how close
2: is he to his pension fully vesting?
1: Is he close? Yeah, is he yep, close? He, to no, he's fully
2: vested. He's fully vested. He's got 11. Oh, what, what's he doing around? You got just well, 10 years. No, I mean, I don't blame him for trying, but just in terms of like how, you know, if it comes down to like not getting a major league contract anymore, I think that's, Nah. That's where the uh, difference
1: is. Keep getting major league chances, Got cool. You may as well, but yeah, might might as well. In uh, game two, so Lurie Garcia had a big night. Andrew Vaughn had a big night. Big home runs for the Chicago White so- as well. Yoan Makata, Hey, Yoan Makata has a base hit against a changeup gym. If I had the air horn, I'd be blowing it right now. Uh, he's one for 17 against changeups in 2021. So hopefully that continues. The reverse jinx worked. Uh, but Yohan Makata hit another home run off a slider in game two. And you remember Mercedes went to the shrubbery, uh, in center field as Jason Benetti called it, uh, from, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, as far as uh, the Knights Who Say Knee, if you don't know that reference, uh, you can check it out. It's a, it's a goofy movie, but I enjoy it still. Uh, but just an absolute blast from yuma Mercedes, uh, 449 feet uh, to dead center field. Again, this was a good night offensively for the White Sox. Jose Breu picked up a couple more RBIs and a more balanced swing. That was nice to see uh, on a slider. He's got 19 RBIs. Uh, in the month of April so far, he's got a chance to have a 20 RBI month, depending on what he does against Shane Bieber on Friday and the final day of April. But, you know, back to Yama Mercedes, Jim, and you know, we're going to be wrapping up the very first month of his professional career and what a month it has been. He is now hitting four twenty three. I I'm not sure if he's going to win player of the month. Byron Buxton has had a huge month mm-hmm. for the Minnesota twins. That's what uh, came Mike to yeah, Mike Trout is putting up absurd numbers as well. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, Byron Buxton, Mike Trout, and Yuma Mercedes are battling right now for the lead in the American League for batting title uh, after one month of the season, and, and hopefully that continues. But I, I don't know what else more to say about Yuma Mercedes other than the fact that this guy really seems comfortable in the role that he's with the, with the Chicago White Sox now as being the primary DH. Mm -hmm. And I'm expecting this slump to come, but I don't know when it's coming. And he seems to be really comfortable in the batter's box, Jim.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I don't think that if he's going to regress and I imagine he will, it just, it's going to be a gentle one. Like he's not going to have awful games. Like he just might have like a, a string of weaker contact, two strike counts where he shortens up and just tries punching the ball and the punching the ball doesn't work. in one case like he had that one where he punched the ball and ended up being like i don't know like 300 foot fly ball like i thought oh that's (laughs) like you know that's a nick magical blooper to the right center gap and then like hits flagged down like just keeps going yeah just keeps going he's got (laughs) that backspin on it that i think uh just maybe makes it hard for him to drop in some singles that other others can't like he's just too strong but uh like Today, you know, the game two was an example where I just thought, like, oh, this is a quiet game for him. Like he he missed out his chance to get a hit. He had one run, you know, flagged down the right center gap. Uh, this is the game for other people to take the lead. You know, you go on Makata having the laser homer and Vaughn with his hits and Larry breaking out. Then you know the 450 foot homer <laughs> out of nowhere. Just like, oh yeah, your means here. Like he's yeah. you know, just I think he, you know, there's that quote and I think the James Fegan story talking about like he likes when a team gets on his back. And I think he's somebody who, you know, even if somebody, you know, even if you think there's a pick to click and your pick to click <laughs> came through, I, I think he just wants to put on a show and he wants to be the guy and not in a selfish way. Cause I, th- I think if you were in a selfish way, he wouldn't have that two strike swing, but he just wants people to, he's a crowd pleaser. And I think mm-hmm. uh, a crowd pleaser, that's also a teammate pleaser. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything.
1: And the White Sox so far are five and one on this homestand, this nine game homestand. And they're in a great position to win at least six games, which we talked about at the beginning. And we even did a Twitter poll where it was overwhelming that White Sox fans would be only happy if they won six plus games on this homestand facing inferior teams. And let's call them inferior with the Texas Rangers and the Detroit Tigers. They're not going to be competing this year. Uh, The White Sox have won five of those six games. Sure, maybe they should have won all six against them, but they're in a great position here to have a six or even a seven win homestand. And next on this Sox Machine Live episode, we're going to be previewing the episode. I'm sorry, not episode, the upcoming series against the Cleveland Indians as they come into town. And uh, Friday is going to be a tough night for the Chicago White Sox. Shane Bieber again. Uh, will be on the mound, and he was outstanding for Cleveland uh, in his last start at Guaranteed Rate Field, throwing nine scoreless innings, racking up 13 strikeouts. Hopefully the second time around is a little bit more successful for the White Sox, but Bieber, you know, we talked about Carlos Rodan and his Cy Young campaign, the defending Cy Young for the American League has been pitching just as well to start 2021. Opposite of him is going to be Dallas Keichel. So that's not going to be an easy day for Cleveland, especially if Keiko continues his success that he had against the Texas Rangers. That could be a low scoring affair for Friday. Saturday and Sunday, these are afternoon games. Saturday is a 3 05 p.m. Central Time start uh, for that game. That's going to be to be announced for the Cleveland Indians as they do not have their probable starters announced for both Saturday and Sunday. But for the White Sox, it's the return of Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito will make the start on Sunday. Uh, again, trying to, I mean, he pitched really well from the second through sixth inning against Detroit. And obviously he has that one bad inning in the seventh inning. And uh, hopefully that Lucas Gilito can bounce back again. And, you know, that's another storyline we're talking about. Can Lucas Giolito bounce back from a bad start? That wasn't a bad start, Jim, that mm-hmm. Lucas Giolito had. It was just unfortunate that he was in that position to pitch in the seventh inning. So I'm not too concerned about the Sunday start. But for Cleveland, this is a team that's one game below 500. Uh, they recently just won their series against the Minnesota Twins at home, winning two out of three. This is an offense that continues to struggle for Cleveland, but pitching wise, they've been doing very well. Uh, they only have a negative three run uh, differential uh, to start this season. They're they're playing like a 500 team. I am most interested to see in this series on how Lance Lynn comes back. Because we talked about Dylan Cease. We've talked about Michael Kopech. And Lucas Giolito was better in his last start against Detroit. And Dallas Keuchel was very good against Texas. To keep this momentum going on the starting pitching front, it would be nice to see that Lance Lynn is back to his full strength and that back strain is not a lingering effect for him because this is got this is Lance Lynn's been a workhorse the last few years. And that's the reason why the White Sox traded for him. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to be focusing on is that Saturday game with Lance Lynn's return on just how healthy he is and how strong he is and how deep he can go into that game. What are you going to be focusing on in this series against Cleveland?
2: Yeah. Lance Lynn, you know, like I, I would say, you know, with his injury, it was such that it came as a surprise. Like, you know, his last yeah. start was fine. Like I don't, I don't, you know, if he made his next start on schedule, nobody would have been surprised. There's no real sign that was going to happen. So I'm hoping he'll come back and it'll just be like, you know, Garrett Crochet also went on the injured list with a similar back, you know, upper back issue. And, you know, maybe it's a case where they just look at the schedule, they see all the off days and see like, well, you know, may as well not make it worse and we may as well if if we can get by with Lynn missing one start and he ended up missing no starts effectively like nobody they didn't need a bullpen day to take his place like you know may as well you know it's april long season division isn't looking like a uh, uh a real um just you know it doesn't look like a 14 division right now and the three teams no. you might have like it's, it's one of the three teams is uh, not what you expected so it's, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to take a rest early and, and may as well. So I'm hoping that Lance Lynn like looks fine and looks like he did the last time out. And, uh, that would maybe just indicate that it really was nothing. Um, I'm curious too, about Adam Eaton, um, just having the knee issue they had. And then he, uh, you know, struck out a couple of times, didn't look great at the plate in game one. And then he took a suspension in game two. Well-timed <laughs> that was, uh uh just uh, fortuitous the way that worked out he takes a suspension in a, a game he wouldn't have started anyway they score 11 runs uh perfect um but just i'm hoping that uh you know he's you know falling down three times randomly is like that's odd and he's had knee problems yeah. before and you know he's you know, that, that's the reason why, you know, two reasons I didn't, you know, I wasn't a big fan of signing was one that he had performance issues. Then he also had just, you know, even if he performs, he might not stay healthy. And seeing those three falls and not having a great explanation for him and then, uh, you know, not seeing a, a palate cleanser performance yet. I'm hoping that shows up uh, because, you know, if he's not around, then, you know, I guess that's one way for Vaughn to play every day, but that means Garcia is playing every day as well and Angle's not back yet. So that, that looks pretty rough.
1: The White Sox lead the season series so far, three games to two. That second game in Cleveland got rained out. Again, that'll be made up later in the month of May. If the White Sox win this series, then in the first seven games against Cleveland in 2021, Jim, uh, the White Sox would have a winning record. They'd be four and three or five and two, even if they only win one game uh, this weekend against Cleveland, which, you know, that, that kind of leave a little bitter taste in the mouth of White Sox fans through this nine-game homestand, Uh, if they win at least one game, they're at least five hundred against Cleveland in 2021. And I find this to be great progress for the White Sox and a good sign that they can win this American League Central because we've talked about this often. The way that Cleveland likes to play baseball doesn't play to the White Sox strength. Strong right-handed pitching. Yeah, strong right-handed pitching, a team that – feels comfortable playing 3 to 2 games because if they're down 2 to 1 they got Jose Ramirez and say what you want about being clutch Jose Ramirez is clutch he comes up in big time moments in high leverage situations late in games Jordan
2: for some reason
1: yeah uh, Jordan Luplo too uh they 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 are annoying the the Cleveland Indians to to play against as far as watching as a fan because you feel like, well, this team's really not that good, but you're in the seventh inning and it's like two to one and you're tense. It's just a, it's a very tense contest uh, between White Sox and Cleveland. So hopefully we don't get too many tense games this upcoming weekend. But I, I do like the way that the White Sox have started this season against Cleveland because I thought this was going to be a trouble team for them. And for mm-hmm. the first eight games of the season, I think the White Sox are playing well against them.
2: Yeah, I think when it comes to the, well, I think you could probably lump the Royals in too because they need to be suppressed. Like they're played well enough to where they need to be dealt with. So I I think uh, when you look at those four teams, it's just basically holding your own is fine. Like, you know, hovering Mm -hmm. 500, ideally better, but even like a game worse, you can probably absorb, you know, as long as you take care of business against weaker teams and there are weaker teams in the American league. Um, And we've seen the Indians just, uh, yeah, and twins too just beat up on the White Sox for 19 games at a time, basically determine AL Central standings or American League standings or wild card finishes based on just how they thump the White Sox. So putting an end to that bleeding, especially like the way Cleveland swept them last year, avoiding that kind of losing streak, poorly timed, and and you know, you hope that you know I would say the one point of you know, maybe these games are more important now, is like if you can put some distance in between uh, Cleveland and Minnesota now before the deadline, like make them make difficult decisions at the deadline, maybe take a step back at the deadline, sell players off, not add, uh, you know, not push prospects, just what have you. Like if you can try to demoralize them early, you know, that's the value in these wins being more than just a win in April. But at the same time, like they're a good teams, So if you drop two out of three in one random series, you know, with especially the beaver on the mound for one of them, you know, it's just, That's how it goes.
1: Yeah, and if they could find a way to muster some runs against Shane Bieber, I think that would be a good step forward because, again, he was just lights out the last time Mm -hmm. uh, the White Sox faced Shane Bieber. They did not score at all. They ended up losing that game in extra innings two to nothing. Uh, But hopefully the White Sox find a way to get some runs against Shane Bieber. If they're able to steal that game, that would be huge for this weekend for the White Sox and a great way to end this homestead stand for them and who knows maybe what happens over the weekend for the Kansas City Royals the White Sox could be tied with them or maybe even in the lead in the American League Central before they start that road trip where they go to Cincinnati and Kansas City next week which we'll talk more about those series on Monday Sox Machine podcast oh but that will one, do for this oh, one note about
2: uh, veteran lefties here is that the uh, Cleveland DFA would Oliver Perez you're talking about like lefties who are just kind of hanging on and doing what they can 16 years of service time Damn. And who know, he might get another chance because I mean he wasn't like I'm looking at his line with uh, Cleveland like he hadn't allowed a run yet. They just uh, Francona said that he couldn't find situations for somebody with that unique a skill set. But probably haven't seen the left of, the last of him. But for the time being, the White Sox won't face him.
1: Chirisi's doppelganger. Mm-hmm. Sorry, bud. Who the White Sox? need a left he, like, me. Why doesn't he go the mustache route? <laughs> Chirisi. Like, especially, Hmm. like, you know,
2: say, like, during, you know, with Cleveland visiting, just, like, shave off his beard into a mustache, jump into the bullpen, see if anybody notices. (laughs) Hey, Oliver, where did you come from? (laughs) Sorry, I forgot some things. (laughs) That'd be great.
1: That would be great. But, yes, our good friend, Cherisey, from the 108, does look like Oliver Perez. And, uh, yeah, Oliver Perez is a free agent, so... Wherever he goes, uh, hopefully Cherizi continues his rooting interest along with wherever Oliver presents up. What a career, though! If he, White he Sox could use a lefty, White Sox could use a lefty. That's all I'm saying. And if that does happen, Cherizi, if you're listening to this or watching this, you got to buy a jersey, not a not a jersey. You got to buy a jersey. You got to make that commitment. But <laughs> again, that good place to end as far as the socks Machine Live. And thank you to everyone that watched as far as the live stream on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine and uh, yeah, if you get a chance to watch us live, we'll always have the live streams for the 2021 season uh, on our YouTube page, which you can describe to the YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine. I would also highly recommend you guys follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. And you can follow me on Twitter at socks Machine underscore Josh. Uh, we've been playing around with Twitter spaces. It allows us to have a uh, audio only uh, room that we can have conversations and we've been playing out the last couple of days. We've gotten really good feedback. Uh, so that might be more uh, impromptu as far as conversations that we have before a game or after a game, maybe even during a game, who knows we're still testing it out. But if you are yeah, it's on it's Twitter, for rain delays, It is built for rain delays. That is true. Uh, But if you are on Twitter, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine, and you'll get notifications when uh, we have launched a Twitter space, and you can join in as far as the conversation and uh, listen to Jim chat, and we'll bring in other folks from White Sox Twitter as well uh, to continue the conversation about the Chicago White Sox during the 2021 season. If you don't get a chance to watch the live stream of Sox Machine Live, no worries. The podcast is always uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you do enjoy our work and you want more, uh, you can get more by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where we have several different tiers of support starting at $2 a month three dollars a month five dollars a month and ten dollars a month where you get an ad free version of the podcast also the website as well you also get exclusive content this past week i posted the mlb draft database for our patreon supporters so they have a nice little database that they can go to to see where all the draft rankings are for the upcoming draft prospects uh, for major league baseball i also posted my first mock draft as well uh, so if you are interested in getting more from us as far as exclusive content and you want first crack at any new Sox Machine swag items, go to patreon.com slash to sign up today. And again, that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Have a good night.